much love. I want to stand with you on a mountain. I want to bathe with you in the sea. I want to lay like this forever until the sky falls down on me. It's episode six, season four of Ravage Love. That's a little little ditty from Savage Garden that you might remember. Oh, how could I forget? I know. A banger. It was. All of, they were all, all their songs were good. They weren't, like, Chikateri Cola. I mean. Yeah. (laughs) I can't have any, I can't see anything that says Terry Cola without singing that song 100% of the time. That's their legacy. That is their legacy. Ooh, I want you, uh, Chikateri Cola. Yep. I'm here for it. Um, excellent choice, odd choice, but excellent choice for this week, which is, you know what? I just needed something. I was going to read, uh, lyrics from the princess brides theme song, (laughs) but I was like, I don't, I, I, I recognize we have hardcore nerd listeners that would have picked up on that right away. Um, but I, I just didn't want to risk it. You know what? It is a deep cut. So good on you to respect the masses. Yeah. And this week, yeah. At the end of the day, it's just it's just a love song, and we read about love and love making. We and do. that's what Savage Garden sang about a hundred percent, and it very much fits with the theme of my book this week. So I'm delighted. This week we read historical fiction, which is my fucking favorite. Not just for this podcast. In my personal life, I, with the rarest exception, read historical fiction and or memoir. I will read contemporary, but you got to be basically a woman and you got to be really good at developing characters like Sally Rooney, Heather O'Neill. That's kind of where I land for contemporary. Generally, fuck me all the way up with some historical. So, uh, and it's good for the show because it's like how we interpret historical, very different from time to time, yeah. but also from person <laughs> to person. <laughs> it's also one of those one of those genres that can you know have the comorbidity of other genres mixed into it very easily 100 right 100 yeah so like last week you read what i would have considered a historical romance right that's fair but yeah but for you it was also an irish romance yeah it was and it was so fucking good and this week's was also good i'm on a good streak now and i'm so excited because I was on a downward spiral for quite <laughs> some time. But I found a little gem this week. Can I tell you about what I read? You can. But before you do, I have two pieces of news that I need to share with you. <gasps> oh, I'm so excited. Ready? Yes, please tell the me. First one, the first one, which I think is pretty lovely, is I figured out who we are as a celebrity couple. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Tell me. We are, we are Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn from the eighties. Okay, who's and who? Here's, we could be. We each of us could be either. Okay, do tell. Yeah, because you're really tall, like Kurt Russell, and um, I'm short, like Goldie Hawn. I have a Goldie Hawn haircut, but a Kurt Russell body, <laughs> and I also, I just feel like the two of them together look as good as we do. Um. 
you know, you have Goldie Hawn style. I saw a picture of her in a yellow bodysuit and I was like, that's Julie. Like next to Kurt Russell wearing some like flannel. I was like, oh, that's Oh me. my God. So, yeah, it's us. It that's- is us. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. they've been together for like a thousand years, but they're not married. That would also like very us. much be us. Yeah. You've adopted my children. hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it just, that's who we are. Oh my God. I love this for us. Renee, I love this for yeah. us. But that isn't, I mean, I think that's the most like delightful news that I have to share with you, but I have bigger news than that. Oh my God. Really? Okay. Hold and on I, I, need, I need listeners to understand. I genuinely have no idea what mm-hmm. Renee is talking about right now. So hit me. Okay. So this week we surpassed 10,000 downloads. What? Oh my God. Yeah. Between the start of this week and today we have um, gotten 200 extra downloads. So we are over 10,200 downloads. People are so thirsty and I love it. Do you want to guess? I mean, obviously Canada is our, our biggest listener. Do you want to guess who the second biggest listener is? Is it the Philippines? No. We had someone from the Philippines once, remember? Yeah. Um, No. Australia. No. No. It's Iran. What? Yeah. So shout out to our Iranian listeners. (laughs) Oh, I see you. Are we being trolled? I don't know. 83. Over 83% of our listenership is in Canada. Fair. And then about 6.5%, which is our second highest listenership, is in Iran. Oh, my God. I love this. I have a friend. Oh, my gosh. I love this so <laughs> much. I love this. That's yeah, great. Well, I thank you to everyone who's been listening to us and our horny thank adventurers you. every week. We do this literally just for fun. So... We appreciate you for joining us on this journey four seasons deep. Ten I really appreciate it. That's so great. Thank you for sharing yeah, that with me. You're so welcome. It's really exciting. I like looking at our at our you know our statistics and our distribution stats and stuff. And it, it looks like you know people are are downloading us every single day Ugh. somewhere. And I love that. And I love that people love what we're doing. That just makes it feel like less narcissistic you know yeah it's not just you and i like entertaining ourselves we're also entertaining other (laughs) people which is great this is great oh well that puts me even in an even better mood to tell you about my great book i read this week all right tell me everything oh my gosh this is so lovely well i read about queer american soldiers in the american revolutionary war (laughs) Oh, okay. Yes. It's called Winter Interlude, an American Revolutionary Novelette by Regina Kammer. What's the difference between a novelette and a novella? Well, my assumption is, which is my biggest drawback of this book, is there's, I really think you need to read the whole series in order for it to make complete sense. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's basically like, the way she frames it in the prologue is that this is basically a missing, not missing, but like could be a chapter inserted into a larger book that she's written where there's a big time gap. And then this novelette is her filling in that time gap. So I guess that's why it's called a novelette because it's quite short. It was like 50 pages, but it wasn't a standalone, like a novella. It was part of a, anyways. So, um, 
interesting story around Regina, if that is her real name. Uh, she is a librarian, an art historian, and an award-winning, best-selling author of historical and some contemporary romance, but even her contemporary romance has a touch of historical or history lessons or they work as historians or something like that. Um, she began writing in 2006 uh, with romance, uh, filling in uh, for, uh, like, competed in a contest, a romance writing contest, short story. Uh, so okay. she started in 2006 with just straight up romance and then switched to erotica when, quote, my characters demanded sex. And I was like, fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this particular book was written in 2018 and it's 60 pages. And as I said, it's part of her broader um, collection called American Revolutionary Tales. Okay. So I'm going to give a, a little, um, little preamble to hardcore military historians and hardcore military folk, who I'm assuming are not the Venn diagram of listeners of our show, but if they are, including my father, I'm going to keep saying lieutenant because it is American soldiers. I know that in Canada we say lieutenant. I understand that, but I'm going to keep saying lieutenant because these are American revolutionary soldiers. Do not come from my fucking throat. I do know what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> <clears throat> Nerds. So, <laughs> so Lieutenant Patrick Hamilton uh, is in. So we're in the winter of 1778, um, and the winter of 1777. So we're talking way back in the day during the American Revolutionary War, and Lieutenant Patrick Hamilton has been assigned to work with Captain Samuel Taylor. And they are chopping wood, doing what you do as an American soldier. And then the captain says to Patrick, um, look, I got needs. There's no women around here. I'm going into town to go to a body house, a.k.a. a brothel. I'm going to do what I usually do, which is pretend it's some sort of intelligence mission. You're new here. You're young. You could probably stick it in as well if you want to come with me. We'll pretend we're going on this intel mission. And he's like, uh, okay, I'll go with you to a brothel. I'm 23 years old. And <laughs> I'm also feeling a lot of feelings and I'm a bit confused by them because I have slept with women and I do enjoy women. But why am I so into all of these shirtless men chopping wood and being very manly? Um, so I don't know why I'm kind of vibing with you, Sam, but yeah, fuck it. Let's go to this brothel. So they do. And there's only, it's a busy, busy day at the ye old brothel. And so they um, are told, we only got one woman left. And if you want some privacy, you're going to have to bang it out in the kitchen because all the other rooms are full. And so Sam and Patrick go, the very beautiful uh, woman that Sam has seen before and met with before. And so she's like, oh, hey. And then her initial thought was, I'll bang you, and then I'll bang him. But then when she's banging one of them and looks over and she's like, oh, they seem really into it. Why don't you both bang me at the same time? So poor little, poor little young, young Patrick is like, what? In the same hole? Different holes? How does this work? So they do DP vag. Two dicks, one vag. And they have a grand old time. But 
Sam and, well, Patrick in particular is like, I'm really enjoying being very close to this man. And I don't know what that means because it's 1777. <laughs> so um, they're banging out with this woman. They stay over the night. Uh, they leave in the morning. And as they're heading back, Sam, the captain says, hey, um, I see you. And he's like, uh, what do you mean? What do you mean? Do you see me? And he's like, oh, I know. I know what you are. I know what you're into. And he's like, what? What? And he's like, look, it's fine. I do it too. I I love to bang it out with men. That's how I do. And Patrick is like, oh my God, what? And he's like, yeah. He's <laughs> like, uh, there's uh, no women around. And uh, I know what I like. And um, you and I have a connection. So if you want, we can just keep banging it out. And Patrick is like, how? It's 1777 and uh, <laughs> we're at war. <laughs> and Sam's like, oh, well, I'm a captain. I have my own barracks. So you just come into my barracks. People already know that we're friends. People already can tell that we work really well together. So I'll just tell people we're having a tight, 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 direct quote in my barracks. And uh, we'll just have a grand old time. So they don't get a lot of opportunities to, but they spend the next year or so, whenever they can, kind of whisking each other away. Well, now it's 1778 and they are still working together. The war is still going on. And there is a brutal snowstorm where um, people are, they're starting to get a little feral and they're wanting to, and you know, get around. And according to Regina Kamer, the, uh, or Kamer, however you say it, the author of this book, who is a historian, this is a real thing that happened where a whole bunch oh. of troops were trapped because of this epic, epic storm. And so they didn't actually get to cover much ground that winter because it was just a brutal, brutal winter. So in that winter, he, they are, you know, they're all drinking together and then they get into a bit of a play fight. And then um, Patrick gets wounded by someone in during this like play fight. And so um, Sam is like, Hey, come back to my barracks. I'll like fix you up, give you some whiskey to help you uh, deal with the pain. And then gets back to his room and is like, well, since we're alone. And then comes on to him. And Patrick is like really conflicted because Patrick is engaged. Um, Sam has a wife. Now they've, you know, it's been a year. They have these lives. And Patrick is like, I don't understand my feelings. I don't understand why it is that I still like when I'm with you, I feel like, Oh, this must mean I'm gay. But then when I'm with my woman, I'm like, I'm into this. And I still think about women, but I also think about men. And again, it's 1778. People aren't talking about bisexuality and pansexuality and being queer. Right. So he's kind of like, I got to pick a team and I don't know what team to pick. And then Patrick's like, you don't have to pick a team, my dude. We just do whatever the fuck we want because it's, I don't know. I'm a rebellious horny. We're men. Because we're <laughs> men. So that's what they decide. So they bang it out a whole bunch of times um, that mm -hmm. night in while they're trapped in each other's uh, arms because of the storm. Oh. And then they have this like really, um, yeah, like this really touching conversation around what are we going to do? Uh, now Patrick's girlfriend is rumored to be pregnant. So he, uh, it's beautiful. Sam, Patrick says to Sam, but I love you. And then Sam says like, okay, well, what do you mean by that? How do you love your woman? And he's like, oh, I, I want to protect her. I want to have children with her. I want to have a future with her. And, uh, I also want to find pleasure with her. And he's like, okay, well, how do you feel about me? And he's like, uh, 
I want to protect you. I want to have a family with you. I want to be old with you. I want to uh, love you and find pleasure with you. And he's like, okay, well then I guess that's also love. And then they talk about the fact that they're like, okay, we are just work. We don't have to choose. And in fact, how about you uh, get your woman to come here? The one that's not pregnant. And um, we'll just like pretend that we'll kind of bamboozle her into having group sex not necessarily that we're gonna both fuck her but you'll be around and then we'll be like see it's not weird he's cute he's into you let's just all bang it out and they basically decide to have a 1778 version of a polyamorous (laughs) type situation where they're going to um find a way to just live as four couples together and never have to be apart the end isn't that kind of nice that's kind of nice. Yeah. yeah, I really. So I have to say it's a very short book, but I very much agree with the reviews on Goodreads and other places where she does incredible character development in 50 pages. The sex is filthy. So it's very much like a, you know, horny, horny book, but still very, very beautiful. The writing is really, really strong. Um, I would absolutely read like a full novel from this person. Um, and yeah, just like very sweet with their uh, exchange between the two of them and how it was like very much love, but also like horny as hell. So in terms Aww. of spice, uh, I'm going to give it five out of five. Five out of five, whatever bland food they ate during the Revolutionary War. I'm assuming some version of sausage. <laughs> I'm going to give it five <laughs> out of five. And in terms of the sex toy or the sex mm-hmm. accessory that I would put with this one, I was horrified by the fact that they're banging it out with this sex worker in a kitchen, in a brothel. And because it's a kitchen, they're like, oh, we'll just grab some oil so that we can DP the situation and basically lube each other up. And the whole time my Volvo was on fire. Like I just thinking about putting kitchen oil, whatever the fuck kitchen oil they found in 1777 (laughs) Um, whale oil fucking blubber or some shit i i don't know but um and she was just putting it all up in her bits and all over their dicks and all of that so i want good lube for these people so i'm giving it a bottle of really good hypoallergenic ph balanced (laughs) lubricant so that they can have their little cuddle puddle thruple gangbang orgy situation and those poor women's vulvas will not catch fire that was winter interlude by regina kamer (laughs) (laughs) oh dear yeah and it sounds like a fun little read it, it was it was a fun little read and i will um again call on our listeners to check out our instagram and face uh twitter because the cover will be there and it's quite i mean they're very handsome men but they're in like fancy dress which is kind of funny because they're very much like in the trenches in the story but yes they're just like literally on a love seat just two dudes in 1777 one of them resting his head in the other one's lap it's very sweet does not i mean it's very clear that it's gay but doesn't doesn't in any way shape or form imply the amount of fucking that happens in this book but it does (laughs) i love those happy little surprises where it's like it's a great little story but it's 
disgust. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> oh, this is so. Oh, okay, we're doing DP. Okay, like that was that was the emotional journey I was on. Renee, Renee, Renee. Mm. I am dying to know how you interpreted historical this week. Well, here's the thing is I immediately went for caveman because I was like, how more historical can you get? But I couldn't find anything that I wanted that I thought I would enjoy. Um, A lot of it was time travel. And I was like, that doesn't count. Then I thought, (laughs) what if I read some like Sappho or something like, and, but there's no story there. It was just lyrical. It was beautiful. Um, but I kind of accidentally write a book for this week because um, because I'm on so many stimulants, I also read as a, as a hobby, as a pastime. <laughs> and I like to read scary books. I love reading scary books. Um, anything with a fucking haunted house. And I'm in it. Like, I am in it. Um, and so I was reading this book this week called A Dowry of Blood. Oh my. And yeah, and it actually ticked all the boxes for historical romance. So, um I'm going to talk about this book because it had a sort of for me unintended, you know, unintended consequence of it being a very powerful story. Um so I'm going to talk about this book, but I I do want to I want to stay say that um there is a lot of caveman erotica out there but none of it seems very good so fair fair yeah i also read a book about a knight and his uh gay peasant lover (laughs) yeah um because i really wanted to like do it like a like a peasant accent oh Um, shit okay yeah but uh i'm going with this because i think this book was really important um and so i don't have anything funny to say this week i'm sorry um, <laughs> but sorry y'all um but this book was great and i recommend it so my book was called a dowry of blood um and it was written by somebody called saint gibson so um they go by st gibson but their name is actually saint so i was like that's pretty cool that's awesome. and they're an author and a literary agent oh. um yeah and I, so I got this book at the library, but then I had to buy it because um, it, had, it had to go back and then there was a wait list. Oh, so no. I, yeah. So I bought it. But you know what? I'm, I would legitimately buy copies of this book to give to people because okay. it was really good. So um, have you ever watched Bram Stoker's Dracula with like no. Winona and Keanu and Gary no, Oldman? sadly. It is a very strong film as far as Dracula movies go. And one of the the, the, char- the sets of characters that you, you, know, you don't see a lot of in the story, in the film, are his concubines. Um, so he's got, like, in the film, there's Dracula has these three concubines who are dressed in really old, like, Roman-style clothing and stuff, but it's in the Victorian era. And um, they are, like, seducing Keanu Reeves to try and get him to, like, stay there um, and be enthralled. So this story is actually from the point of view of the concubines. And yeah. And so it starts out in either the 1300s or the 1400s where this young woman, it's, it's from her point of view, her entire town has just been pillaged and is on fire. She's been beaten within an inch of her life and she's about to die. 
Um, and then this dark, mysterious stranger shows up and he, you know, is really taken with her, her rage. You know, he sees her rage. He can feel her rage. And he's like, I, I'm in love with you and your rage. He's like, and I want to give you vengeance. So um, you say the word and I will give you everlasting life and you will be my wife. You'll be my dark bride and you can go have your vengeance. And she's dying. Like she has no really other, other choice. She can either die or she can not die. So she agrees and she becomes a vampire. And the story is, it goes, it's in three parts. Um, and he, he christens her Constanta and, um, she's like, she was a peasant, so she doesn't have a lot of education. She doesn't know a lot about the world. She was really just like a teenager when, you know, she died. Um, and so she's really smitten with this beautiful hunky man who, um, you know, has given her this gift and it's giving her an opportunity to see the world and live forever. But He's very controlling and he's very, um, he like talks down to her a lot. He doesn't really like think that she's smart or anything. And I mean, I guess for all intents and purposes, she's not book smart, right? She was a peasant. So, um, from her point of view as the author, she actually doesn't give him a name in the story. And the reason for that is that it's a story of this woman's experience in an incredibly abusive and oppressive relationship uh, and what that looked like throughout centuries and how she got out of it. And it was so powerfully written. Um, so you see this woman and she's, she's kind of just living. She's kind of unhappy, but she doesn't dare challenge this man because he's big and strong. And like, basically she relies on him for everything. You know, the, the first time she ever upsets him, he abandons her for two days and like, she relies on him to eat, you know, she relies on him for everything. Um, and so she, he comes back after he felt that she'd been punished enough. And then he's sort of like, Oh, it's okay. I love you. So that's like that cycle. And then in part two, he takes her to Spain and in Spain, he introduces her to this queen called Magdalena. And Magdalena um, is this brilliant, politically savvy, like, lesbian, just, you know, loves political discourse, loves, like, just, like, the intrigue and all of that that comes with politics. Um, and she is, like, real horny for Constanta. And so, at this point, the vampire has decided that he's going to make her... Um, the sister wife <laughs> of this like vampire group. Um, and hot. Yeah. And at first, Constanta's very kind of like jealous because, you know, why wouldn't she be? But she also notices like she immediately falls in love with this woman and is like, I'll do anything I can to protect you. Um, and so it kind of develops this sister relationship, but also kind of like a matronly relationship with her where she you know, wants to protect her. And then as they continue to travel over the centuries, um, Magdalena's like spark and like joie de vivre starts to kind of like drain out of her because their vampire husband kind of gets a stronger and stronger hold on her and kind of takes over her interests where he starts going out and becoming political and like forming these alliances and learning about all that stuff. And then meanwhile, they're more and more reserved to the home and then magdalena starts developing like 
pretty heavy bipolar um, mood swings where some days she's okay. Other days she like cannot even get out of bed. She's depressed. She won't eat. Like she's wasting away because she's so sad. Everything that was part of her identity has been taken away from her and they love their husband vampire, but he's sort of like, Oh, you know, you have to stay inside for your own good. You have to, I, I know more than you. You have to do this. Um, and so they're getting really sad and they, they're noticing that like, um, you know, he's becoming more and more controlling. And then at some point, Constanta decides to go into his um, like study. And so throughout all these years, he's been studying the condition of vampires and studying human beings because he wants to understand why vampires exist and like how they like how they survive in, you know, relation to humans and, you know, all of that. But they've his his like study has always been off limits like you know stay out of the west wing like that kind of stuff um but constanta like finding these little moments to rebel against him she goes into his study and she finds this box of letters and it's because she sort of had this seed of doubt and it talks a lot about like these seeds of doubt where when they went to meet magdalena for the first time they talked as though they had known each other for a really long time and so she's like I want to just know, like, she's like, I love Magdalena, but I don't trust my husband. And I want to just, part of me is saying that like their communication went on way longer than he suggests. And so she wants to try and find these letters, but what she actually ends up finding is like letters from like generations before she even showed up on the scene between him and other husbands and wives that he had. And she's like, well, where are they? Like what's happened to them? It doesn't make sense. Um, and so she does confront him at some point, but then he like attacks her and like gaslights her and it's really terrible. But then always comes back to be like, you're just a, you're just a little baby and I love you and I have to take care of you. And she's like, okay. Um, and so she tries to leave, like she runs away, but she ends up in church and then he finds her. Um, and then we're finally, we're at like the 20th century and they're in Russia and this is where they meet Alexei. And um, Vampire Daddy decides that he's going to bring Alexi into the fold because Magdalena's not getting better. And he's like, well, I'm not going to give her more rights and freedoms, but I can give her another partner. Right. But Alexi's like 19 years old. Like he's a little baby. And these people are hundreds of years old at this point. Um, and because it's also the 20th century, like Alexi isn't prepared to be subservient and complacent and like is constantly pushing back against vampire daddy even though vampire daddy is always trying to keep a rein in and then finally he pushes him so far that vampire daddy slaps him and it's the first time ever that constanta sees him be physically violent with any of them and for her that's like this crazy wake-up call where you know she kind of always made up excuses for him for all of these centuries that like he um, you know, he was shitty, but he never hurt them. Right. Like that typical rhetoric that, you know, survivors have, or it's like, well, they never hit me they never hit me. So he hits Alexi and she has like a kill bill moment where she's like, I'm going to murder him. Um, <laughs> but she like gets in between them and, you know, she's behaving very maternally and like, like these are her children at this point, even though they're also her lovers. Uh, <laughs> You know, but she's like, I have to protect these people. And so she decides that she's going to, you know, go back into his study and he, she's going to find out what can kill a vampire because he's been telling them that, like, they can't survive without him and that, like, 
you know, if, if he dies, they die and all these things. And she's like, I don't fucking care. Like she, she's, he's attacking my, my lover children and he's oppressing us. He, we're all shadows of our former selves. He's like moved them out into like a scary castle in the middle of nowhere. Um, and just to like kind of keep them to himself, right. As possessions and stuff. So she, and then Magdalena and Alexi decide we're going to find a way to kill him. And they go into his um, study. They find his his workbooks. They figure out how they can kill him. And then they seduce him and they murder him. And while that's happening, the villagers have come to, like, attack them. Um, and so she, like, carries his body out and throws it at the villagers. And she's like, it is done. And then uh, they take all their things. They run away and the villagers burn down their castle. And then in the epilogue, they're all um, going off their own separate ways to live their lives, but they know that they're going to come back together again. And it was beautiful. So, wow, it was, I wasn't expecting it to be a scary story about a vampire, but it was really the perfect story of somebody's experience in an abusive relationship. And they wrote it in a way that it's like the abusive person is a vampire but it didn't, it just still made it very real, even though it was a vampire. Um, appreciated the little Dracula, like Bram Stoker's Dracula shout out to the Harkers, which would be Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves. Um, <laughs> she's like, oh, she's like, you wouldn't believe how moody he was after the Harker incident. And Alexi's like, who is that? She's like, just a couple of Victorians. And I was like, oh, that's fun. That's fun. <laughs> um, but it was beautifully written beautifully written the sex scenes were not extremely graphic but they were still very like sexy like i thought they were sexy like what like what kind of sex scene with a vampire is not sexy think about it like they're always romantic i don't understand and i i don't want to derail but i just (sighs) can you explain to me the vampire kink because so many people i know find vampire movies quite sexy and have like a legit they're like, oh yeah, if I could, I would absolutely be a vampire. Like, it's just hot. You're like sinking your teeth into someone's neck. I don't get it. Is it because I'm not gothy enough? Is it because Maybe. I'm like a My Little Pony personified? Yeah, you haven't opened your heart to the darkness. Um, no, in in these <laughs> in these instances, it's that it's like a creature of the night, right? Like it's a darkness, and that darkness is interested in making you feel good right okay it's like this dark scary situation but there's like pleasure it's in still it. titillating if you will <laughs> yes <I know. laughs> as somebody who has made love in a graveyard i can tell you <laughs> that there's just something sexy about being in a dark spooky environment because it's like you've got the adrenaline of being scared and then the adrenaline of being horny all together right that's so funny. i think that's what it is like in these instances like I mean, I guess they did drink each other's blood, but it it was described in a way that made it very clear why it was arousing for them. Um, I appreciated a gay Dracula. Like, yes. I appreciated that, like, he went, like, he went down on Alexi, like, no problem. Like, you know, he wasn't, you know, he gave as much pleasure as he expected from these people, but he was an abusive piece of trash. And it it was interesting how they had these three characters, one of whom was like basically groomed, 
right? To have no identity, a person who had their identity taken from them and went crazy because of it. And then um, this like bon vivant who like, you know, had the whole world ahead of them and was like the, you know, the light of their life who was trying to fight back against being smothered. And I thought that was a really neat um, way to, you know, to put out different kinds of people who have been victimized because I think it's, you know, I've certainly felt groomed and I've certainly felt like my identity has been stolen. and I've certainly felt all these things. And so it was really just a brilliant way to put it out. So the book was, the book was hot. The book was tragic. The book had like a couple funny moments and it was, um, extremely well written. Like I would give this book to anybody. If I was still working in the women's shelter, I would have a copy of this book for people because you, even if you've been victimized and you can relate to all of these characters and you see the parallels, you're still rooting for this person. And even though it takes them like over 500 years to leave a bad relationship, they do it. And you're just like, yeah, bitch, you did it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and like the whole time, like, you know, she's resolved, but she's also like full of regret and she still loves this person. And it was just so well done. I cannot recommend it enough. Everybody should read A Dowry of Blood. Love um, it. Very good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Is there that's what I read? What would you, what is your uh, accessory? Um, <laughs> I was like, give me some fucking vampire sex toys, internet. Let me see what you got. <laughs> what um, did that yield? <laughs> <laughs> so many things, but I'm going to share with you the funniest one. Um, <laughs> so this is just like, it's just a regular vibrator. Okay. Okay. Um, but they call it the twilight. <laughs> so it's an A instead of an I. The twilight vi- vibrator. And then it's just a white vibrator. It says twilight on it. And then writing that says, this feels like Edward Cullen. And I thought that was just so funny. <laughs> like it was just so fucking funny. Um, yeah. I love oh, that. Sorry. Okay. It's not twilight. Um, even though that's exactly how it's spelled. It's twat like light. The, it's twat light. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, love it. Love that Edward Cullen feels like a shitty vibrator. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's that. That's what I would recommend. Um, and for the spice, it was it was spicy. It wasn't the spiciest book. It wasn't as spicy as A Night with Sir Reginald that I read. Oh um, yes. That was just spicy from start to finish um so i'm gonna give it uh four out of five medieval legs of mutton okay (laughs) yeah because their love affair did start in medieval era so that's that now i'm i'm not really reading anything sexy because for me justice um is sexier than sex in books Oh, I love it. I love justice, especially if it means murdering a man. Um, also, I'm in the middle of be- getting an RCMP uh, cle- like security clearing <laughs> clearance right now. And I'm just like, murdering men. Um, <laughs> okay, so this is um, the very end of the book. They are um, going to murder him. They're going to murder him. <laughs> They're going to commit a murder. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Okay. 
<clears throat> I waited for you in white, ever your willing bride. It was an old nightgown in the Victorian style with a pale pink ribbon threaded through the cuffs and a high lace collar. The material skimmed the curves of my body and was nearly transparent in the low light of the wall sconces. I draped myself across the bed, my hair undone and falling to my waist in a waterfall of red. You had Magdalena pressed against you and Alexi nipping at your ear when you opened the door, but you stopped short when you saw me. Your breath caught in your chest and your pupils went wide with desire. Even after hundreds of years and countless other lovers, I could still arrest you in the right lighting and with the right pliant expression on my face. My wife is... <laughs> That's a good vampire voice. Uh, my wife, you said, taking my face between <laughs> your hands and tipping my chin up just so. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Into the angle that you so enjoyed. You liked me best when I was an oil painting, perfectly arranged and silent. Yours, I repeated dutifully, my breath hot on your lips. I wondered if you could feel how fast my heart was beating under my skin, smell the fear coming off me like an animal scenting the hunt. I had never felt so terrified in my life or so exhilarated. It took me too long to come to my senses and fight back, but now I was caught in this moment with you and I attended to make up for lost time. We pulled you onto the bed, Magdalena mewling prettily while Alexi sucked on your little finger. I kissed you and kissed you, driving you back against the pillows with a force that surprised even me. I kissed you the way you had bitten me all those years ago, mercilessly, until you were panting. I pinned you between my thighs and kissed you like I was trying to get back at you for something, like I would never kiss you again. I fit all the love and hate uh, my soul had endured for so many years into that kiss. Then I flicked my eyes to Magdalena and Alexi, giving them a signal while you were murmuring delirious nothings beneath me. Then they pinned you down by your shoulders, one on each side. You laughed at first, thinking it was a game, but then the smile fell from your face. You tried to wrench out of the, their grip, but Alexia and Magdalena held you down with the full weight of their bodies, already breaking out with sweat. There was only one of you and two of them, but you were older and stronger by far. We didn't have much time. I reached underneath the bed where I had hidden my contraband and produced an item that felt heavy as treachery in my hands. A rotting rod from the stairwell banister wrenched free and fil filed into a sharp at one end. It was heavy enough to bludgeon a man to death with, or run him through. You blanched when you saw it, genuine terror passing over your face in a wave. Then the anger rose up and you bared your teeth at me. I told you to stay out of my rooms. What stupid little idea has gotten into your head this time? If I die, you all die with me. It was the gamut of a doomed man. The first stirrings of power thrummed in my chest. So this is what it felt like to hold a lover's life in your hands. No, we won't, I said. I read about that too. This melted the edge off of some of your rage and I saw a flicker of vulnerability cross your face. Constanta, you pled. Uh, with the same wild raggedness in your voice that rose up when you undressed me, that same desperate sheen in your black eyes I only saw when I, uh, when you called me a treasure. I love you. Look at me, Constanta, my jewel, my wife, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Don't do this. <laughs> uh, anyway, wife. she's gonna stab him. My wife. But here's what I. Here's the last bit I want to say because okay. I thought it was great. Okay. Don't ask me why I did it. I was tired of being your Magdalene. Magdalene, I was tired of waiting expectantly at your tomb every night to, for you to rise and bring light into my world once again. I was tired of groveling on my knees and washing blood off your heels with my hair and tears. I was tired of having the air sucked out of my lungs every time your eyes cut right to the heart of me. I was tired of the circumference of the whole universe living in your circled arms, of the spark of life hiding in your kiss, of the power of death lying in wait in your teeth. 
I was tired of carrying around the weight of a love like worship, of the sickly warm rush of idolatry coloring my whole world. I was tired of faithfulness. I made you into my private Christ, supplicating with my own dark devotions. Nothing existed beyond the range of your exacting gaze, not even me. I was simply a non-entity when you weren't looking at me, an empty vessel waiting to be filled by the sweet water of your attention. A woman can't live like that, my lord. No one can. Don't ask me why I did it. God forgive me. Christ forgive me. And then the next page, she fucking murders him. Ew. And it's beautiful. It was a really beautiful story. I was just really rooting for, for this ragtag crew. Yeah. This ragtag crew of of Muppets just murdering their lover husband. What a great little story. What a delightful little story. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you read something pretty, I mean, it it's precursor to murder, but at least it's a little, it's not as filthy as I was expecting because I am reading a pretty, kind of a chaste part. So okay, I've said this multiple times on the show and I will say it every time it's relevant. I don't care. But as a queer person... I am really fascinated by queer history and people having to flag and find each other in a world where being who you are is very illegal or very dangerous or, uh, or both. So uh, I'm going to read you a part where they're having that conversation. So they just finished having their uh, threesome DP situation with a sex worker and um, they are now kind of heading back to the fort and like wrestling with what does this mean um, in particular for the one who had never had an experience with a man before. Okay. So, <clears throat> so they're walking and then he's like, I got to rock a piss. So they like pull over on the side of the road in their horse and carriage so situation. Romantic. <laughs> yeah. So he's peeing and then uh, they go to get back and then, um sam so P pat is rocking a piss and sam comes up to him and he slaps him on the back lieutenant what say you pat jumped at his touch stumbling on a rock his hand still holding his fall front he stared up at sam shock and mortification pouring down his spine boiling back up to burn his cheeks pat pat lurched in retreat his tricorn tumbling to the ground sam followed catching up seizing pat by the waistcoat and hauling him up against the thick trunk of an aged oak Sam's blue-gray eyes bore into him, dilated, ravenous. You felt it, too, he growled coolly. Pat's lungs heaved, struggling to steady his tremulous breaths, succeeding only in drawing in the seductive scent of Sam's heated skin. With every inhalation, his cock hardened. With every exhalation, he sank further against the rough bark, yielding to Sam's potency. I don't know what you mean, Captain. Yes, you do. His gaze dipped to Pat's lips, dry from his frantic breaths. Sam mashed his mouth to Pat's, delving his, sung, his tongue deep inside. Delirium descended. Sam's warm wetness was, was devilishly good, too good, taking Pat on a dangerous journey toward lewd and illicit temptations that could only lead to their deaths. Terror mingled with desire and tore through him. Palms flat on Sam's chest, he shoved him away. What the hell are you doing? Pat's fingers flew to his lips, plumped and burning from the captain's delectable assault. A crease deepened along Sam's brow. He took measured steps forward. I was remembering last evening, being inside of chastity together. What? It was chastity. <laughs> it was chastity. <laughs> Hello, sex workers. Been sex workers been crushing yeah. the name game since 1777. <laughs> um, 
And he's like, what of it? Warmth flooded Pat's already flushed face. Sam was before him once again. I could feel you, you know. Pat looked away, tears blurring his vision. But more than that, at one point, I forgot about chastity. Pat glared at Sam with wide eyes. Sam smiled because I was thinking of you. Me? You. And what it would be like if we were alone. Pat looked away. I don't understand, Sam. Sam cupped Pat's chin and turned his head until they were nose to nose. I think you do. I think you felt the same. I have a wound on my right shoulder from your passion, Lieutenant. A sob strangled Pat's lungs. But it's wrong, isn't it? Sam stroked his cheek, a simple gesture that speared yearning to his groin. It may be unlawful, but it is not morally wrong. This isn't some elaborate attempt at chicanery. Sam gasped. Me? Deceiving you? He sighed. I mean, you're right to have scruples. Sam, men are killed for harboring such feelings. So we'll be careful, Sam hissed. He exhaled. I'll have separate captain's quarters in the fort, he said quietly. And you're my second in command. We've become friends. There's no reason why we should not have a private tight-a-tight from time to time. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you've done this before. Sam released his hold. Oh, I have. So there are others? Like me? Like us? Yes, some. He kicked the ground. More than you might think, because we must operate in stealth. Sam looked side to side, up at the treetop, beyond the tree then behind himself it appears we are very much alone at this moment though lieutenant see okay but listen julie okay i have two things to say about this he was just like terror and passion that's vampire love that's why vampires are sexy terror and passion you're right and you know what i think what as you were explaining and, and talking through your story i think for me the blockage around finding like vampire stuff like sexy is one i'm just truly spongebob as a person like i'm just so like sunshine lollipops and rainbows like that's just (laughs) way but also very creeped out by blood so i Mm. think that's part of it for me too is like i just can't imagine a version of reality where i would choose to be around blood like i cut my own finger and i'm like sit down or go night night like i can't I can just deal like, with needles. I can deal with all kinds of things, but just the sight of blood makes me weak at the knees and not in a hot way. But like, what? It, okay, imagine. Let me set the scene. For set you. the scene. Do it, Bram okay. Stoker. <laughs> so it's a spooky castle. Yeah. Um, you're in a spooky. You're in a spooky Airbnb, <laughs> and it's it's cold, but you have a roaring fire in your bedroom, and you're just feeling really lonely. You're like, Oh man, I wish I wish I hadn't come to the spooky Airbnb all by myself. And then you hear like a knock at the door and it's the, the host of the Airbnb. Who's like, I just came to see if you needed more blankets. Uh, uh, uh. And you're like, Oh yeah, it's really cold. And he's like, yes, I know these old homes are very drafty. And you're like, yeah, but he's like, got like a really frilly shirt on. And like, it's like the buttons down and he's got really long hair. And he's just like, He's really like thin, but he's also like really like pale. And you're just like, man, he's kind of spooky. I wonder if he's a huge dick or something. And then he's just like, can I come in? Because vampires can't come in your room unless you invite them. Um, and you're like, yeah, come on in. And then you guys have like some really like dark red wine or I don't know, like squirt water or something, <laughs> something red. 
And then he's like, I want to make love to you. And it's all super passionate. Um, and you're like, but I can't because I'm, I'm having my monthly visitor. He's like, I know. And then he like goes down on you and you're bleeding everywhere. But he's just like, yum, 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 yum. But it's consensual and stuff. And he like doesn't suck your blood. He just makes sure you don't, you can still sleep in your sheets after. He's just, wow. he's there. He's the towel, right? Like, listen, that, the vampires, they don't want to suck your blood. They just want a connection. <laughs> Why are you so Why you gotta fight it, bitch? Fair. 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 I just, you're right. You're absolutely right. And yeah. And like so many writers of these stories, like, you know, Anne Rice. Anne Rice is crushing the vampire lifestyle. Like, may she RIP and made it sex. I just, I think it's the blood. I can't get past it, but you're right. As you said that, all I think about is this incredible bit by um, uh, Cameron Esposito, where she talks about how she is a lesbian with really bad anemia. And so... <laughs> <laughs> she just goes down on menstruating women and she's like it feeds me <laughs> and that's all i kept thinking of was a vampire in that sense so excellent choice thank you the other thing i wanted to bring up is how you know you've mentioned before how you you are interested in the you know people like queer people of the past kind of like you know, funny. letting other queer people yeah. know. Yeah, find each other. And all I could imagine was, like, these two sailors, like, eh, and, eh, like, raising their eyebrows and, like, pointing their, like, index fingers together, like, bing, 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 like, eh, eh. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, like, that That was the code for, like, we're going to make our penises touch. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I do think about, like, yeah, I think about it a lot in that context, especially because, like, I have that problem today because I'm a femme person who looks super straight because I'm super, super quote unquote girly. And so I'm like, I have trouble trying to like get people to read me as queer. And it's 2022, <laughs> like in Canada. So I can't imagine. I think that's why I'm just like respect and like just like people's commitment to being who they are in spite of all odds is just. I mean, dare I say the queer community is resilient, uh, but yeah, well, I, I do love the idea of like, huh? huh, huh, yeah, you're right. And then just being like, huh, huh. And then also like, days? how do you talk about top and bottom back in the day when you didn't have that language, you know? Interesting. I mean, they just figured it out. I know. They didn't have it, time. They didn't have time, Julia. They I know. Had to was, get it in. It was so covert. Remember that scene in Brokeback Mountain? were exactly that and the entire time all i kept thinking was like that can't feel good because you literally didn't use any lube like that's these are also things like you know there's all those like twitter or like it used to be on tumblr where it was like shower thoughts and it was people thinking about like who discovered that you can drink cow's milk and like who discovered that you should boil tree sap and make maple syrup i'm also like wh how many people had to do anal dry before they realized <laughs> Let's get some oil up in this bitch. Questions. Yeah, like, I don't know. I like, olive oil. Like, olive oil's fine. I know you're like, oh, my vagina's burning. But it's probably, like, the better for, for you know, people sticking things in their buttholes. I mean, um, perhaps. Yeah. But still, even to get not. to that point where you're, like, trying to figure out, oh, maybe friction is the problem here. I just, I, I feel like the second that a man, in, like, a regular man had something go in his butthole dry he was like nope 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 nope. i i would i would argue 
that lubrication for anal sex is probably older oh. than a lot of other common things we have today. <laughs> oh, 100%. You know they just thought that lube was just for your butt for years because it was mm-hmm. men. And then women were just like, hey, uh, we also chafe, motherfucker. Take a beat. Lube me up. Yeah, I mean, these are the things I think about because I am a freak and also need a hobby. (laughs) So, but pivoting, (laughs) what are we doing next week, Renee? Nannies! Nannies! I can't believe that we are on our fourth season and we've never done nannies before. There are so many fucking stories about nannies. So many. I'm going to bring a Fran Drescher accent. Oh, you better spend the next week perfecting that art form because oh, you know I can't. I've spent spent the last 35 years perfecting spent it. Spent the lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> it's done. I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> I think, you know, I will say, though, about nannies is that I always felt that it was maybe like a genre I didn't really want to dip my toe into because I worry that it's going to feel very, like, abusive, powery. Like, like mm. does is this... Is this woman babysitting for Louis C.K. like GTFO? Like, the not yeah. where you want to be, right? And that's kind of how I feel about nanny books. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, would I read a Mary Poppins fanfic? Of course I would. Of course I would. <laughs> like, do I want to see Mary Poppins and Winifred Banks and then Katie Nana just, like, have an or? Yeah, that's what I want for them. I want, uh, I want all the suffragettes to, like, get it on with Mary Poppins but I feel like that's not what I'm going to find. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I, yeah, it, it is time that we dove into this topic because there is no shortage of things. And you're absolutely correct. The room for exploitation is quite intense, but we shall see what we find mm-hmm. in the old um, archives of our own collections, but also in the deep recesses of the internet. But in the meantime, thanks for listening, folks. Thanks to the over 10,000 listeners we've had over our show. So exciting for two so little exciting. Canadian gals just gabbing once a week. Super exciting. So thank you for that. Make sure you follow us on the socials. And join us next week where we listen to Renee. I'm not even going to try, but listen to Renee nail a Fran Drescher accent. Oh, Mr. Sheffield. <laughs> Icon. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, do you want to sing us out? Sure do. <clears throat> Ravage love. Ravage love! Bye! Bye! Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join or on social media at PS the number 2 J Show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Ravage Love.